from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 23. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 23. Don't you know that you, are, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the, standard, by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Actually, I wanted to start with that before we put a title over it, because uh, it's just a majestic thing to look at. That's the temple of Apollos in Corinth. Uh, believe it or not, I actually took that picture. I look at it, and I think, it looks like I stole a postcard, but uh, but uh, I've got this, the second picture that goes with that, where I backed up a little bit and, and, and it increased the scene, and there are some of the shops from Corinth that are right there. We want to spend our time this morning thinking about uh, the church at Corinth and thinking about Paul's first letter. Uh, I have a special connection uh, with the letters, especially the first letter to, to Corinth, because I had the privilege of studying it uh, when I was in school. Uh, and I have people that are actually pushing me to write a study book about first Corinthians, first and second Corinthians, and maybe someday when I get old I'll do that. And some of you are thinking, he's already there. <laughs> uh, so... We want to talk about building up the temple, and you'll understand that in a little bit. Let's start, though, with the opening verses to this letter. You know, customarily, Paul will begin with a, uh, kind of an indication of who is writing and who he's writing to. So he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and a brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ, Jesus, and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And it's interesting just in those two verses how many things that Paul identifies here um, that he is an apostle. He's been sent by Christ by the will of God. Uh, and you need to keep in mind then as he's writing or speaking, if you want to think of it that way, he is doing so with the authority of the Lord. You know, he's not just somebody who's decided to write this, but he's been moved by God's Spirit um, and commissioned by Christ to speak to the church at Corinth. Uh, and he's writing to the church, and he addresses them as church. The word church literally means the called out, but it typically has the idea of, of the assembly. And in the New Testament, uh, we are referred to, you know, we call ourselves church. With that word, which, you know, literally Greek word means called out. But in this case, we need to see it as a, an assembly, a gathering. Uh, 
so in Corinth, uh, and that this belongs to God. This church, this body, this assembly belongs to God, obviously belongs to Christ. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy. Greek word for sanctified and holy is the same one. Uh, And you kind of just think about how language uses similar words in different ways depending upon the context. But it means to be set apart for God. So I want you to imagine that these are, that Paul is speaking to God's people in Corinth, to the church there, because they are the ones that, through Christ, have been set apart uniquely for God. They're not there to serve their, uh, the values, the sin of their community. They're there to be unique and distinctive. Uh, but also, that inclusive statement with those everywhere. Now, that applies to us then, doesn't it? You know, Paul's kind of global mission or idea who call on the name of our Lord, uh, that is an expression of confession, of acknowledgement of who we are. Now, Corinth. Corinth is a very interesting place in the ancient world. Uh, It's located on the strip of land, if you want to call it, the isthmus between the northern part of Greece and the southern part of Greece. It's at the southern end. Uh, It's on the water. It's a seaport. And if you think about what that means, a seaport, immorality. Uh, In fact, the ancient world had a term called Corinthianized, which meant gross immorality, but based on the world, that word, that place. Uh, it was a place of idolatry, many temples. Uh, and this all gets combined in the, the background of Corinth. There's this mountain called the Acre Corinth, and on top of that is a temple. Um, and the, the priestesses of that temple are cult prostitutes. And they come down from that temple every night into town to ply their wares, as you put it tactfully. tactfully. Um, let's put it bluntly. Corinth was a raunchy place. It was a cesspool of immorality. And so begin to imagine what it would be like to be a Christian. It's dominated by paganism. And that's really one of the things that you notice as you go through the ruins of, of Corinth. And I found as Don and I were touring uh, and going through the ruins of Corinth, just how many pagan shrines and temples there were. And I just thought about those poor Christians there that are just surrounded by that. And then you kind of think about, well, that's kind of like our world too. But uh, there is, and we know there was a synagogue there, both from the New Testament, and they actually have found the stone over the door that says uh, Synagogue of the Hebrews in uh, Greek. So the Jews at least had a presence there. And there was a church there. 
established by Paul. But the problem is, it's hard to exist in a culture, a city like that, without being influenced by it. I don't know if you've ever thought about how you and I may be influenced by our culture, by our world, by the the values of what's going on. And so the church at Corinth had to deal with, and and often when I teach the um, 1 Corinthians, I, I like to talk about the theme of 1 Corinthians is the problem of carnality. Carnal literally means flesh. Um, it's fleshliness. It's giving in to the desires, the sins of the flesh. And so the culture of Corinth, the immorality of Corinth, is affecting the church. Paul notes further that the attitudes in the church are causing people to turn against one another. And so he says there's arguments, jealousy, disagreement, ultimately causing division. And so you think about what should be God's testimony to the world of his love. And of the gospel, the death of his son for our sins is being diluted, if not completely negated by the behavior of those who claim to be following Jesus. Not a pretty picture, is it? So, right early in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. The arguing and the bickering and all of that. So there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, I understand, and I think Paul would probably admit to it as well, that it's very hard to get people together and have them agree on things, right? You know, if you've got 200 people in here, you've probably got 250 different opinions. Some people may be waffling back and forth, you know. And, and so human behavior, human attitudes are such that we divide. Well, what should make the church unique in the world is the unity that is brought through Christ. And that's what he wants to do. But, in a way, given the situation at Corinth, Paul's kind of swimming upstream. Think about the divisions that are going on there. Okay, number one, they're Jews and Gentiles. And right there, you've got two totally different worldviews in terms of people's backgrounds. You've got Romans and Greeks and barbarians. Barbarian, basically, is the word they use for referring to people that weren't Greek or Roman. You've got rich and poor. In fact, the rich and the poor, the the issues between them are so systemic 
that it even affects how they observe the Lord's Supper. Can you imagine that the rich are excluding the poor? There are some people who have spiritual gifts, and they are kind of lording it over. I'm better than you are. People that are not gifted. They're divided, and this is what was back in First chapter 1 where he appeals there be no divisions among you. He says, what I mean is this. Some of you are saying, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. I belong to Christ. And I suspect that that last one is probably Paul saying, you know, I belong to Christ. You know, I don't belong to one of these other things. Somehow they're suggesting that they are superior because of who taught them and who baptized them. And Paul says, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize very many of you because if I had, I don't want you saying you were baptized in my name. You think about how petty and childish, how foolish these people are. And then as we read through the book, we realize that there are issues as the early church had with False teachers and Judaizing teachers. Uh, And getting into chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, there's more about these false teachers that Paul would be speaking about. So how do you correct that? We're going to just go through a list of things really quickly here, but I think this will kind of set the tone for what we want to talk about. Number one, you've got to put the apostles and the teachers in the right place. Paul uses different ways of saying that. For example, he uses the idea that, you know, how should you think about me or Apollos? Paul says, well, we're fellow workers. You know, we share a responsibility to work in God's field. You don't elevate the worker in the field. See, it doesn't matter who, which one of us is working. You know, and so one of the wonderful passages here in that context, he says, I planted, Apollos watered. So do we get the credit for it? No, he said, no, God gave the increase. See, understand that the people who taught you the gospel are not the people that you honor. Yes, in one sense, you may have a special sentiment you know, for the preacher, the person who showed you the way to Christ and to salvation, who taught you the Bible. But it's God, it's Christ that did that, ultimately. So don't honor the man. Honor the Lord. So put him in the right place. Keep him in, in, in that perspective. But the other thing is to renew your vision of the church. And so there are some different images, and I've already mentioned some of them, but I think you'll understand. The New Testament refers to the church as God's kingdom. And you think about what that suggests about our approach and relationship to God. God's field. You know, you think about you're out there working in somebody else's field, You don't have authority over that field, do you? But in other words, your role is to 
do whatever is necessary to help that field produce its crop and then to harvest the crop so that the owner can benefit. It's referred to as God's house, God's family. And we find great value in that because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't we? Our relationship with one another should be stronger than any other relationship we have because we are joined by the blood of Christ. And that's not biological blood, is it? That's spiritual blood. That is eternal relationship. Paul uses the analogy of of the church as a body. That Christ is the head. And we all are members of the body. We have different functions. There's a really great section, 1 Corinthians 12, talking about that. And how we are interconnected and interdependent. And then here, in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul speaks of the church as the temple of God. And we'll go a little further with that in a minute. But all of these, the New Testament is trying to emphasize for us the importance of unity, of oneness. And even Paul says that when talking about the body. There's one body. We're all members of one body. We're members of one another. So, think about what that means. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, you know, one part of the body can't look at another part of the body and say, no, you don't belong. Number one, it's not our body. (laughs) And number two, God has put both of us in the body. And if we go against God, then we cut ourselves from the body, not the other person. And so, in that context, Paul says we need to serve one another and to build up one another. And what's interesting here, the Greek word for build up, which is sometimes translated as edify, literally means to build a house. And so you think about, as we come together, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, talking about our assembly together, says, let all things be done for edification, for building up our house, building up one another. We are all here to help and encourage and teach and support one another. I've used the analogy or the idea before, you know, because sometimes we get the idea that, well, I want to come to church and I want to sit here and I want to isolate myself from everybody and I want to have this little thing between me and God. No, that's not Bible. That's not Christianity. Because the idea is that we should be here together as a family, as the body of Christ, as the temple of God, to encourage and support and strengthen one another. See, if you think about it, that's one of the things the Lord's Supper does, that we share in a common remembrance of why we're Christians. Because Jesus died on the cross. So, what this all means in a very simple way is is that the church then should be a place of safe relationships. 
I think many of us know what it is to have relationships that are not safe, where we use that expression that says, watch your back, meaning you can't trust the people that are around you. Think about the difference between that and the, the expression that is used sometimes where somebody says, I have your back. I'm here for you. The to accept and value one another because we are members of the same body, to value each other's place and gifts. We're all different gifts, different abilities. We all have something to bring to serve the body. It's not all going to be the same. But Paul talks about the idea that there are greater gifts and there are lesser gifts. But they're all important. Every one of us needs to be part of to encourage and support, to have sound, which means healthy teaching, put others before ourselves, compassion, forgiveness. You know, you just look at that list and think, man, that's something I want to be part of, isn't it? Well, that's what Jesus created, gave to us to have in our relationship. But one of the images that we mentioned just a moment ago is the idea of temple. And I think it's appropriate that, that in the letter to the church at Corinth, because they lived with these great big massive temples. They knew what they were. They were stone. Think about it. Those stones have been standing for 2,000 years. It's a permanent type structure, isn't it? It's strong. And so Paul uses that, and we could say the Holy Spirit through Paul uses that image to speak specifically and especially to the church at Corinth and to us about what the church should be like. And so God's temple, and remember that Temples like the temple of Apollos. Apollos was a false god. But those stones were there, and they could see that. They could see that building and that structure. So they kind of mental image there. So Paul says, you are God's temple. God's spirit lives in you. Wow. They're used to the idea of having in these temples around the city... These stone or wood or metal objects that are called gods there that supposedly live there except they don't move, they don't answer, they don't do anything, they're just lumps. But Paul says God's Spirit lives in you. Now, what's interesting, and back when I took first, first and Second Corinthians you know, in, in school, I had the privilege of taking it with uh, J.D. Thomas, who was the head of the chair of the Bible department at Abilene at the time. And First and Second Corinthians were his specialties. And I thought, okay, I've got to take this class. And the first assignment we had was to look at two similar passages, First Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19, because they both have some similar words. 
temple, Holy Spirit within you. And we had to do a very thorough study of both these passages. And so in working on it, what I learned was that in 619, that the context that Paul is talking about is immorality. And so he says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have within you? So why would you take, you know, that you, in other words, that you individually, your physical body is holy. Remember back chapter 1? You're holy. You're set apart for God. Why would you take your body and use it for something that is unholy, ungodly, immoral, sinful? Paul uses the expression of the Corinthians as it's, Somebody who commits immorality with a prostitute makes himself one flesh with her. That's a marriage, not an immorality thing. So, we need to honor God through our bodies, through the way that we live, what we do with them. But then the first one in 316 the you there, it doesn't say you, your body, it says you, and the word you there is a plural. Get the idea? Paul is saying to the church, you, all of you, together, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Do we treat the church like it is a temple of God? in which the Holy Spirit dwells? Do we give that respect? But the context of that is the false, te- is false teachers. End of chapter 2, chapter 3, into chapter 4. It's all about false teachers. It's all about people who are hurting and destroying the body because of what they're saying, what they're doing, what they're teaching, and the way they're messing up other people. And through those sections, Paul speaks about human wisdom, worldly wisdom, self-wisdom. These are arrogant people who think they know what nobody else knows. And one of the most solemn, serious statements of the New Testament comes here. It's a warning that whoever destroys God's temple, God will destroy. Wow. Doesn't that give you chills? That if somehow we do something that hurts the church, God's going to hold us accountable for that. If we're responsible for false teaching, we're responsible for the effects of the division that it creates. The building, the temple, comes as a result of a series of analogies. There's the field analogy and the builder analogy at the end of chapter 3. 
and Paul, for example, using different ideas of workers. And so, with the building, with the temple, Christ is the foundation. For other foundation can no one lay but that which is laid, which is Christ. And so Paul talks about the idea how, as a master craftsman, he built on that foundation with the church at Corinth. He, he taught them the Word of God. He didn't teach them philosophy. He didn't teach them his opinions. He didn't teach them the news of the day. He taught them Christ. Built on that foundation. He said, you know, some other people may come along and build on that. And some may build with precious materials, very valuable, strong, beautiful things. And some may come along and build with straw. And you know, if you were driving down the street and you saw a house that had been built with all these different materials and the, and the walls were made out of straw, you'd probably go like, what? What happened? We probably figured they ran out of money. People build with different materials. And Paul says there will be judgment for what people have done with their building. And, you know, specific in context, you know, that's not just about all of us. That's actually the people, the teachers, who are building upon the foundation of Christ. Maybe the reality is, or not. So, Paul says, referring to himself and the other apostles and other early preachers like Apollos, is that we are servants, we are stewards. We, we are here to work for the Lord, not for ourselves. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul says, I, brothers, I have applied these things. And it's kind of a summation of what's been going on from the end of chapter 2 and to chapter 3 and into chapter 4. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride as one man over against another. You know, we as human beings have egos, don't we? We like to feel important. We like to, to know. You know, one of the big issues in early Christianity, it started off during New Testament times, but end of the first century, end of the second century, it was called Gnosticism, which comes from the word knowledge. And people thought they had secret knowledge that nobody else knew, and they felt superior. And you know, the New Testament absolutely condemns it. There is no secret knowledge. There is nothing new. Paul says, I applied this to myself and to Apollos because you need to know, don't go beyond what is written. Don't go beyond Scripture. That is the part of the foundation that Jesus Christ laid because He's the foundation. There's no secret knowledge. There is Christ and Him crucified. We need to live in a community of trust, a community where we know that what's being taught 
And what's being said is truly the word of God. That's the value that we need to hold up and we need to follow and that we need to serve. While Paul and Peter and Apollos and many others in the New Testament world were the, maybe call them the original builders of the temple, in a sense, are we not all builders? Do we not all share in that work? Do we not share in trying to build one another? And that is what we're here to do this morning. To encourage, to strengthen, to teach, to admonish. Yeah, maybe sometimes we've got to give ourselves a kick in the you-know-where. But we are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We are the temple of God in which His Spirit lives. We need to treat the church with that kind of respect. As we close, Chad's picked a song for us to end with. And if you're here this morning, this is a lesson that is designed for Christians. But it's one I hope that all of us can listen to and realize the importance of and about the place and the focus of our family. But if we can help you in your relationship with God, you can talk with me or Chad or one of the elders uh, after we're through. Let's stand as we sing.